When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Missouri River is the longest river in North America. It winds its way through seven states. And as it snakes down through, you know, Montana and the Dakotas and into Nebraska and Iowa, it's just this big drainage river of all of the snowpack, all of the moisture, everything that happens in the upper Midwest eventually comes down uh, the Missouri. Tony Messenger writes at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. That's where the river ends. And every spring, when the snow melts, he looks upstream to see where all this water is going to go. Over 300 river gauges are above flood stage as we speak. This year, the water's gone everywhere. Whole towns have been evacuated. Roads are closed. Nebraska estimates its agricultural industry is losing a million dollars a day. Like this, where you have these communities that are just inundated with water. You can also get Tony could have told you this was coming. The Missouri River is dotted with dams and levees, mechanisms that redirect and manage the river's flow, slow the water down, speed it up. Days ago, Tony started getting these alerts from the Army Corps of Engineers as they released more and more water, like a faucet. And they started at 20,000 cubic feet per second, and a few hours later they were at 50,000 cubic feet per second, and within 48 hours they were up to 100,000 cubic feet per second of water rushing down, and they knew when they made that decision that they were protecting flooding in some areas and making it worse in other areas. I mean, they had no choice. I knew there was a problem. I knew this was going to be a massive deal, whether it made its way to Missouri or not. Tony doesn't see this as a natural disaster, so much as a disaster by design. He says the Missouri River is supposed to flood. It's how this waterway moves. One of my favorite places in Missouri is this uh, this little store called the Piers Store that was uh, refurbished by a local couple And it used to be right on the banks of the Missouri River. Now it's a mile or so from the Missouri River. And the store didn't move, the river did. Over hundreds of years, the Missouri River has moved many, many times. That's the nature of what it wants to do. Today on the show... Tony's going to try to convince you and me to rethink flooding season. He's going to show us how this year's disaster was made. And he says to avoid floods like this one, we're going to have to think more carefully about how we rebuild. The people upstream are going to have to think about the people downstream and vice versa. This is our problem. And we are all one people as it relates to this. But we don't act like that when it happens. We're like, well, we're not flooding yet. So, gosh. Sucks to be those guys. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us.
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Your newspaper published this op-ed called One River, One Problem. What did it say? So we actually did it twice. The first one was in 1944, and that's when this country was debating how to deal with Missouri River flooding. There had been several big floods in the early 20th century, and we realized it was a national problem, and there was some discussion of what to do. And the Post-Dispatch editorial board came up with a plan, and they called it One River, One Problem. And they basically said that the eight Missouri River Basin states needed to operate the Missouri River as one asset for the region. And it compared it to the Tennessee Valley Authority, which has generally had much more success in terms of getting that region unified as it relates to its water basin problems. You said that this op-ed was back in 1944. Why were we talking about flooding back then? Because it was happening all the time. I mean, the Missouri River is a river that is going to flood. Sometimes the flooding problem is up in Montana and the Dakota. Sometimes it's in Nebraska and Iowa. Sometimes it's in Missouri. And each of those states in the Missouri River Basin tend to have different needs in terms of when they want the water to be there, when they want it to be high for recreation or high for cooling nuclear plants or low for environmental reasons. Those reasons tend to be in conflict with each other. And that's why the Post-Dispatch proposed this idea of a unified, congressionally chartered organization to manage the river for all of the region and all of the country. Well, the, the, the country didn't listen to us. And they built a bunch of dams up on the northern basin. And they thought, you know, we're going to be able to manage this and we're going to be able to use it for navigation and barges and recreation and all of these things. And Over time, it's been a massive failure because the Missouri River is going to do what the Missouri River wants to do. It has been a decade-long battle to get the congressional delegations of Montana and South Dakota and North Dakota and and Iowa, uh, Nebraska, Minnesota, Missouri on the same page. So what happens is the policy is all over the place and it contributes to massive flooding every time the Missouri happens to have all of the conditions that lead to what we're seeing right now in Nebraska and the Dakotas and and now into uh, northwestern Missouri. It's the Army Corps of Engineers that's in charge of the river? Yes, primarily the U.S. Corps of Engineers. What's interesting to me is when you reported this in the past, you've talked about it as like the Army Corps of Engineers basically not wanting to share their power (laughs) and coming up with this plan where they'd be in charge. Why aren't they good at it? There's no reason why they can't do this well. Well, the Army Corps of Engineers is good at building things and they're good at navigating things. 
but they aren't necessarily good at managing the Missouri River as an asset. They're doing what Congress has told them to do. I tend not to be that critical of the Corps of Engineers because I don't think it's their problem. The congressional policy is what it is, and the Corps is trying to implement that policy. But we don't need somebody who knows how to build things to manage this river. It is an ecological asset. It is an asset for the farmers. It is an asset for tourist reasons. The Corps is not necessarily the the best organization to manage it. And that's why the Post-Dispatch historically had argued that there ought to be a different organization that manages the river for all of its different purposes. Yeah, I found this quote from a tribal leader, I think, who said, we just need to get everyone in a room, lock the door, and have them not come out until we balance the interests of the upstream states and the downstream states. What is stopping us from doing that? Those states just don't know how to play along. I mean, you have each of the elected members of Congress from those states have interests within their states that drive their policy. In Missouri, it's generally the farm community that drives our policy. They don't want the river to be high at certain times so that they can protect their farms. Well, when Missouri wants the river down, that means the river's going to be higher in the northern part of the basin. So that means the reservoirs are going to be full, which some at certain times a year, the folks up there in Montana and South Dakota, they want those reservoirs full because they use them for recreation. But when the reservoirs are too full, we see what we're seeing right now, where eventually they have to let way too much water out of the dams way too fast. And eventually that water has to go somewhere. You have to get the political leaders to agree on a policy that lets the water roam. After the 1993 flood, there was a national commission to study the Missouri River Basin and learn from our mistakes and figure out what to do. And it was led by a a general in the Army Corps of Engineers, a gentleman named Gerald Galloway. And that Galloway report included about 100 recommendations of how to deal with the river. And here's the kinds of things that it suggested. You've got to buy out from areas that flood. You have to move cities. You have to allow for floodplain and more wetlands. You have to buy up river land and let the water have room to flow. You have to stop trying to treat the Missouri River as a navigable river because it historically is not. The Mississippi is, the Missouri is not. And so the Galloway Report was this beautiful document produced by all of the nation's great experts on science and ecology and so many different things on how to properly manage the Missouri River. And very, very little of it was ever implemented. And in fact, we continue to make the exact opposite decisions in terms of public policy that was recommended after the 1993 flood. Hmm. When the Army Corps of Engineers decides to open up one of these dams, I just wonder if there's organized opposition to it. If there are people who sort of know what's coming and try to get out in front of it or make a ruckus. Well, I mean, there's there's not a lot they can do because that water has to go somewhere. If they don't release that water, ultimately, they're going to put so much pressure on those dams that those dams are going to collapse. And then there's going to be a disaster that's 10 times worse than what we're dealing with right now. 
when you lay this out to the public, you know, we need to widen the river. We need to stop building these levees that kind of pass the buck and create floods, but not here. What do they say to you? Sometimes members of the public get it, but but the public officials understand that to do the right thing here is going to be very, very expensive. So so here's an example. I live near an area that used to be called Gumbo Flats. And Gumbo Flats in 1993 was underwater. And people who remember the 1993 flood remember some people standing up on a roof completely surrounded by water that became sort of a famous image from that 1993 flood. That was in Gumbo Flats. Well, these days we call Gumbo Flats the Chesterfield Valley. And there are two big taxpayer incentive supported outlet malls in Chesterfield Valley. There is a Lamborghini dealership. There are more square feet of shiny retail than almost any place in the St. Louis region. Because after the 1993 flood, rather than learning from the Galloway report, we did the exact opposite. We took the monarch levy that had been breached and we built it up and made it stronger and higher and bigger. And then we developed all of the land behind that levy. My son plays baseball on, on fields that are protected by that levy. I shop at those places. I'm, I'm part of the problem, so to speak. The reality is those buildings shouldn't have been built. And to really make policy better, to really do it right, it's going to cost billions of dollars to undo that. So you're saying like your own house should be underwater right now? Well, not my house, because I actually live a community away and and in a hilly community. I'm good. But <laughs> but the place where I take my kids to eat and my family to shop and play baseball and volleyball and all of those sorts of things, it's in the floodplain. It's in areas that were underwater in 1993 and I believe will someday be underwater again because the Missouri River is going to win. We just don't know when. And that area is going to be bailed out by the National Flood Insurance Program at some point. And the developers will have made their money, the cities will have made their money, and then taxpayers from all over the country will end up bailing them out and then we'll be faced with that decision again. Well, what do we do? We all talk about how resilient we are after the floods. Boy, we really worked hard on sandbagging. We really worked hard to protect our, our little tiny river main streets, and we're going to rebuild. That's what we did after New Orleans. That's what we did after Houston. It's what we do after every Missouri River flood. We're a resilient nation, and we rebuild. But we rebuild in the same places knowing that they're going to flood again and the taxpayers are going to buy us out again. It's horrible public policy. I wonder if you see the problem as being with politicians who might not be seriously considering the ideas that you're laying out, or whether it's the public themselves who aren't willing to engage with these ideas. It's both, because the politicians ultimately do what the people tell them to do. And when people get invested enough in trying to protect floodplain, in trying to drive good public policy, then the politicians will eventually follow. I wrote a column a few years ago during one of our, our flooding seasons in which I talked to a, a Corps of Engineers employee who told me that there's, there's a limited window after floods. There's this period of time after a flood 
in which there's an opportunity to make good public policy because people get it. They, you know, people who live in a house that had never flooded, that was completely underwater, all of a sudden realize something's wrong here. Something's wrong with climate change. Something's wrong with river policy. Something's wrong. What are we going to do to fix it? What happens for a period of time is that citizens who hadn't paid attention to this issue all of a sudden get engaged and all of a sudden start calling their politicians and all of a sudden realize, you know, I lost my dream house. Nobody ever told me I was in a floodplain. We got to fix that. But it's a short window when the next developer comes calling and promising big cash for a new development. The politicians are like, boy, we need that sales tax revenue. We, we, we've really got to do something to, to improve the, you know, the overall makeup of our city. And so it's a matter of time. Hmm. There's something else we haven't talked about, which is the fact that not planning for preventing flooding means that the National Flood Insurance Program is in serious debt. So how is that affecting your readers and people along the Missouri River? Well, it, it, it should worry them because I, I read yesterday that the governor in Nebraska, he believes there's at least a billion dollars worth of damage so far. Every county in Nebraska is going to be declared a disaster zone, or at least most of them. They're going to ask their congressional delegation to get them money from some sort of a congressional bailout as well as the National Flood Insurance Program. The last time I checked, the National Flood Insurance Program was $28 billion in debt. So that money really doesn't exist. So ultimately, what's going to happen is every time one of these disasters happens, Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, Missouri, they're all going to be fighting for some of this money. And the congressional delegation is ultimately going to have to say, OK, well, we're not going to rebuild here. This doesn't make sense. We're going to do something different. That's really what's going to have to take place because they can't just keep printing money every time there's a disaster. They're getting worse and worse in part because of climate change. Climate change magnifies the existing problems with how we manage the river, and it makes the, the, the flooding worse and worse. What you're saying is that it's going to have to get really bad. Yeah, I, this, is, this, this to me is the most frustrating part, that for the proper policy to win, things are going to have to get really bad. Nebraska's underwater like it's never been before, where two Air Force bases in the Midwest uh, had to be evacuated that are a key part of national security. Think about that. This is a national security issue. We have Air Force bases in the Midwest that we can't use right now because of flooding. We didn't put them there originally because they were going to flood. It didn't, you know, they didn't used to, Offutt Air Force Base didn't used to be regularly underwater, but it is now. That's a national security issue. That should cause Congress to be riled up about this, to do something about this. Tony, thank you so much for talking to me about this today. Thank you. Tony Messenger is the Metro columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. If you have made it this far, you should really be following me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. All right, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.